Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. It's amazing when you're obedient to the Lord, when he'll call you out in a place to give, in a place to sow, even when you're in need of something. Sometimes it's in the moments where you are in need of something that he'll cause you to be a blessing to someone else. Am I the only one? Amen. You're needing joy, but he wants you to be a bringer of joy to somebody else. You're in need of healing, but he wants you to pray for someone else to get their healing. That's a lot. Oftentimes how God works is when you're in need, he'll put you in a posture to give because give is how you receive. So you might want to be careful the next time you're asking for a need to be met because God will put you in a place to help meet someone else's need. And many times he'll have you rejoice with someone else for the very thing that you've been believing for. He sure will. He sure will. Because God's more interested in your character in your character than he is in your blessing. God's more interested in your heart than he is in your health. Come on. And many times we want God to meet external needs uh, that... Uh, won't really change us, but really what God wanted to do is change not just your situation, but he wants to change you. And so um, God wants to get the blessing to you, but he wants to know that he can get the blessing through you. Amen. And uh, that's actually what we're going to be jumping into today, just as Pastor Chris just mentioned. We are in a stretch season, a stretch series, if you will. Um, we love to end the year stretching our faith uh, because how you end one thing is how you go into the next, amen? And so how we wrap up and close out 2018 uh, will determine how we go into 2019. And I know that we always go into 2019 or go into the new year expecting change, expecting things to be different, and you know, we start laying out our list of New Year's resolutions and you know, all that stuff that we do. Uh, but how are we going to finish out this year? I'm not really interested in how we start something. Yes, we need to start, uh, but you know the dangerous thing with Samson was if you go back and look at Judges chapter six, it says that, uh, or Judges chapter thirteen says that Samson was called to begin something, but he couldn't finish what God wanted to start. And so I want to make sure that we have finishers in the room. I want to be uh, found at the finish line, not just the starting line. Amen. And so it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And so we want to wrap up this year in faith. We want to wrap up this year stretching ourselves, uh, things that maybe you haven't seen accomplished yet, things that you haven't, uh, uh, things that you set out in 2018 um, uh, to, to see done in your life. We want to see those things uh, pulled in and, and, and have all that God has for us this year in 2018. Amen? I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving holiday. And I hope that we can get the Thanksgiving glaze off and get into a posture to receive. Amen? Are you, in a, are you, in, are you ready to receive today? Are you expecting today? Let the, let, let's not let this be just another Sunday. Let's not, we're not just doing religious formality here. Let's remind ourselves of why we're in this place today and what we've come to receive. And today, you, you, every time I preach the word, I'm doing one of two things. Every time we preach the word, every time you hear the word, we're doing one of two things. We're either forming a new belief within you. 
something you've never heard, something you've never known, something you've never seen before. We can form, plant a brand new seed within you that you've never heard or seen before. Or we can reinforce what has already been formed within you. Every time you hear the word, you're either receiving a new seed, you're receiving a new belief, a new understanding, a new revelation that you've never seen before. Or you are reinforcing what you already know. And how many of you know that many times uh, we think the Bible says that faith comes by having heard? But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, the Bible does not say faith comes by having heard. I heard that once before. Oh, I've heard that topic before. Oh, he's going there again. Oh, Mark chapter 11. That was the thing for us Rhema people. That every time, you know, Brother Hagen or whoever goes to Mark 11, we start turning off or we start thinking on what we already know rather than what can I receive that I haven't heard before or how can it reinforce what I've already known? It's the danger of discipline. I'm gonna preach that one time. The danger of discipline. Because it's great to be disciplined and it's great to be consistent and it's great to be constant and it's great to be uh, 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 dependable, right? You wanna be a faithful person. That means people know what you're gonna produce even before you produce it. But the danger of discipline is familiarity. The danger of discipline is that you become complacent in where you're already at. And so what do you have to do to get beyond the danger of discipline? You've got to stretch You've got to stretch. See, limitations are good. Limitations aren't bad. Limitations are good because they let you know you haven't yet reached your full potential. Limitations, uh, many, many times people allow limitations to keep them stuck somewhere, but limitations show you what you are to stretch beyond what you are to get past, capacity that is untapped, potential that hasn't been seen yet. That, that's, what, that's what God is always trying to do. He's always trying to stretch your level of trust in him. God will never come to you and say, man, you're doing such a great job. Uh, you know, uh, stay right where you're at. You, I, I, don't, I don't want any more from you. I don't need anything else from you. Just, just keep on doing what you're doing. He's not gonna do it. John chapter 15 tells me that those that don't produce fruit, the branches that don't produce fruit, guess what? He lops them off, cuts them off. They're gone. They're gone in the fire. They're, they're forgotten. So if you're not producing anything, see ya. That's what the Bible says. I didn't make it up. Then the ones that are producing, guess what he does? He prunes them, stretches them, cuts things back, eliminates things, pulls things off. Why? So it can produce more. God is always, inter always interested in more. God does not ever become satisfied with our level of production, our level of faith, our level of trust. And, and, and so where we're at today can always be stretched to grow beyond. And so that's what we're talking about. And, 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 and so we're going through this season as we always do. And then this is a season where you're going to act it out. You are going to act out. You're actually going to put uh, uh, practicality. You're going to put practice to what we're learning as we're stretching our faith by on, on December 9th, Sunday, December 9th, by coming and giving a stretch offering, a physical offering of finance, stretching our faith, believing that God can do more than what we're seeing God do through Anchor Faith Church 
today. Amen. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. Can you practice what you preach? The easiest thing in the world we'll ever do is tell somebody else how to do something. That's the easiest thing in the world. That's cake. We got that down. We know how to tell other people how to do stuff. It's living it out and actually putting it into practice in our own lives and trusting that God's word is true. I can preach on healing, but can we believe for healing? I can preach on loving your neighbor, but you can't even love your enemies. So we've got to put the word into practice. Amen. And so we will literally do that uh, on Sunday, December 9th. I want functional faith. Amen. I want faith that works right? I want faith that that will actually function when I need it. And so I want to build my faith, stretch my faith, and see what God can do with it. And so here, uh, go with me to Mark chapter 12, if you will. Mark chapter 12. You know, last week was a powerful, powerful message. If you you missed it, you've you've got to get online, really the last two weeks. But uh, the, the first week we talked about there are people that are on the shore, There are people that get in the boat, they get off the shore. You know, sometimes you just got to get off the shore. And that's okay. We've all got to start somewhere. But there's some of us that we've gotten in the boat and we're used to Jesus saying, go to the other side. It's like, okay, yep, go to the other side, got that down. And the storms come, hey, I know what to do, storms come. But now God's telling you to get out of the boat. And that's a whole nother whole nother realm of faith, whole nother, whole nother world of applying your trust in him because many of us have gotten comfortable in the boat. Amen. We were comfortable on the shore and there was one time it was a stretch for our faith to get away from the shore and get in the boat. But now some of us need to step out of the boat. Comfort will always keep you from blessing. See, people think blessing is in the comfort. Blessing is not in the comfort. Jesus didn't promise us anything comfortable. He didn't promise us anything that would be exactly as we wanted it. You know, where most people miss their miracle is in how God does it. They're believing God for healing, but they want God to heal them like he did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Or Aunt Susie. Or when Pastor so-and-so got healed of cancer. I want to do it like he did it. In the length of time it took him. Their their trust isn't in God, it's in a system. Their faith isn't in him, it's in his stuff. And so we've got to stretch our faith. And then last week, uh, we saw the story, the example of the rich young ruler. And many times our stretching is hindered because our values have been compromised. And when we have the wrong values, when we value the wrong thing, then we can't put our faith and our trust where it needs to be. He came to Jesus with all the right questions, running to Jesus, kneeling down before him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, that's the person you want coming to your church. That's the person you want coming to your ministry. What what do I need to do to be a part of your mission? On top of that, he's a rich, young ruler. He's got everything that, that, that he's done everything right, achieved everything, but his values were off. His values were off because value is always determined by cost. And we saw that in the end, he wasn't willing to pay the real cost that he needed to pay. Go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor. And he went away sorrowful because where your values are is where you pay the cost. 
don't, don't say that you value something that you're not willing to pay the price for. We, we, we've got to realign what we really deem valuable in our life. And how do I find out? Where am I paying the cost? Because there are things that are costing us. There are things that are, they, they are. We honest with you. I just be transparent. I'm up here on stage anyways. All you guys are looking at me. You're not looking at each other. We're driving off last week. I was thinking of everything I didn't say that I wanted to say. And so what I recognized very quickly as I began to eat of the message that I was serving you is that my value for perfection is robbing me of my joy. It's costing me joy. I am paying a price in joy every time I value to be perfect and get it just right exactly the way that it is. So that's mine. I don't know what yours is, but everyone in this room has a value that you are paying a cost for. You need to determine if the cost is worth it. Amen. So now we're moving into week three, Mark chapter 12 and verse 41. I'm going to read this out of the New Living. It should be on the screen behind me in the New Living as well. It says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple. We're talking about tithe and offering. And watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Jesus, sat, Jesus is watching what they're giving. Now, I know it would make a lot of you really nervous if I sat right here and all of y'all walked by, dropped in your tithe or your offering or whatever, and I'm sitting here watching each one go in. But that's what Jesus is doing. Now, one first thing I want to point out here is he's watching as the crowds are dropping in their money. In another place, in Matthew chapter six, I believe it is, it, it says, and when you give. It doesn't say if you give. Notice here that this was already an automatic response. Tithe and offering, giving of finance to the Lord is automatic. It's not a, it's not a law. It's not an Old Testament principle. It's something that people were doing and God actually never even asked for tithing offerings. It was automatic. This belongs to him. See, this is the thing. Tithing is not how much of your money will you give to God. Tithing is how much of God's money will you keep. Tithing offering belongs to him already. I'm not even in Malachi chapter three and we're already on this. It was automatic to him. So he's there watching as they gave. They, there was no asking. There was, I mean, I wonder how many services if I didn't even take up the tithe and offering, people would be like, oh, hey, are we gonna receive tithe and offering today? Are we gonna, are we gonna do that? I came ready to give. You gotta come ready to give. And you give to the house. You give to the storehouse. Where's the storehouse? Where you get fed. I've had people ask me before, well, is it okay if I give my tithe to, to missions? I'm already given to missions. That's not, that's, not, that's not the storehouse. The pastor on TV is not the storehouse. Come on. What's the storehouse? It's where you get fed. I don't go eat at Cheddar's and then go down to Longhorn and pay them. I pay where I got fed. It's the storehouse. 
Try calling the televangelist when, when you're in the hospital or somebody dies or you, you, you pay, you, you give, you, you serve at the storehouse. And so it's automatic that they're giving. And it says many rich people put in large amounts, right? Because that's what we would expect rich people to do is they would expect them to put in large amounts. And then a poor widow, a poor widow, I mean, it labels her as a poor widow, came and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. Now he's calling his disciples and analyzing this with them. I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. Because the giving, the generosity, is not based on the amount that you give. It's based on the amount that you have. Because he says, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. This is the thing about generosity. See, you, you don't have to teach tithing and, and, and tithe and offering in the system of, of giving and sowing into the kingdom of God to generous people. So it's really not about teaching tithe and offering. It's teaching generosity. Because tithe and offering has very little to do with what's in your hand and has everything to do with what's in your heart. Some of the most generous people in the Bible were some of the poorest people in the Bible. See, this is the thing about lack. God is not a God of lack. God wants us to live in abundance. God wants us to live in, in overflow. God wants us to live plenty. God wants, to be, God wants us to be prosperous. Prosperous simply means that you have enough to take care of your own and be able to bless others. That's what prosperous means. Prosperity is not defined by finance, bank accounts, houses, boats, cars, planes, and what have you. That's not prosperity. Prosperity means to be whole. If I'm prospering in my body, it means that I'm whole. It means that I'm taken care of. It means that, that I'm not lacking in my body. So there's this thing about lack, though, and this is what the rich young ruler learned last week, is that lack will help you identify what's really important. It's the good thing about lack. You don't know what is really important until you're down to what is really important. It's easy to give when you have it. That's the easy part. It's easy to tithe when you have learn to live within the means of your own budget and learn. See, see you know, um, Americans, we're the ones that really have the hardest time with, with money and tithe and offering because we're told nonstop that we make money. That's, what, that's literally what we're told. We, we raise our kids so that one day they can go out and make money. We don't make nothing. It's called transfer. They're not making money. It's being transferred from one man to another man. And then from there, it will be dispersed to all the other men that you get paid or that, that you end up paying. So we're not making 
money. It's learning how to operate on God's system of finance. Because God doesn't need money. That's the, first, that's, the, that's the first step, is you can't handle money until you realize you don't need it. You can't properly live within God's biblical system of finance until you recognize that money doesn't take care of my stuff, God does. And that's why you're working overtime is because you think that if I work more hours, I get paid a higher wage, therefore I can buy or pay more stuff. And that's not how it works. God takes care of your stuff. So when you lose your job, you just lost your source. You just lost what you have your faith and your trust in. And when you lose a job, everything else goes. But when I lose a job, God is my source, not the job. It means nothing. My stuff will still be taken care of and my stuff will still be paid for. And I will still be able to live because God is my source, not my money. I could go to any other country and preach this and have no, no problem at all. Because they don't look at money as what takes care of them. We do. And that's why we have Americans living in, the, in the, 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 the crisis that we live in. Over half the country is in debt. Over half the country has more in credit card debt than they do in savings. And if, if today something happened, I mean, most Americans have less than $4,000 in a savings account today. That's a fact. That's a statistic. And I'm not saying that, that because sowing will do way more than spending and saving will ever do. But I'm talking to the church of the living God. I'm talking to an embassy of the kingdom of God. I'm talking to the ones that God wants to bless. I'm talking to the ones that God has laid up, stored up treasures for you. God does not want you living paycheck to paycheck. God does not want you living on on how am I gonna take care of this or how am I gonna take care of that? But we can't continue to break the systems and then expect it to work for us. So we start off with the expectation. The expectation is they gave. This is nothing new. This is nothing new. To take, to receive a tithe and offering in a church, this is nothing new. We've been doing this before there were churches. It's not a church thing. Go all the way back to Genesis. Abraham was giving a tenth, a tithe, the first tenth of what he had, and nobody had to ask him. Nobody had to say, all right, we're going to receive a tithe. No one had to give him an offering envelope. No one had to tell him how to text to give. No one had to give him a website. And and, 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 and he did all that automatically. It was automatic for Cain and Abel to bring offerings to the Lord. So we're recognizing here that it's an expectation, number one, for everybody, the poor and the rich. So, so many times we tied generosity to prosperity. Most of the time we say, when I'm prosperous, I'll become generous. When I have it, I'll give it. You know, my, my dad used to, to, to say this to me a lot, you know, growing up. Uh, you know, if I'd ask him for something crazy or, uh, you know, something outrageous or something that he wasn't ready to do in the moment, he would say this, if I could, I would. Anybody else heard that one before? Son, if I could, I would. Son, if I could, I would. But see, Jesus is reversing this on us and he's saying, if you would, you could. He flipped it. He flipped it on us. He said, if you had the intention within you, then you could. See, 
Generosity has nothing to do with external factors. It has everything to do with internal factors. You, you, you won't be generous if you have money. When you get money in your hand, it only reveals what is already in there. It only reveals where you're already at. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Basically, what he's saying is it would be evident on the outside what your intentions were. Because even if you have little, you would still make it happen. This is where he's at. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Might not have been a good idea to preach on money after Thanksgiving. We'll find out. This might might be a live and learn lesson right here. That's all right. I'll just preach it again next week. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. I want to look at this in the New Living. And then we'll kind of break it down a little bit. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. This is what God is doing. See, when we give, or when we invest, when we sow into the kingdom of God, it's not about what we're doing. It's not a, it's not a personal, uh, 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 you know, I, I, I'm moving on up in my personal glory in God. This is what God's doing. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. See, generosity comes from what is within not by external circumstances. There are people that they are generous if the stock market is plummeted or if it's all the way at the top. They are generous in 2005 and they're generous in 2008. But then there's other people that when everything crashes in 2008, the generosity all of a sudden shows up. The real, see, generosity is not giving alone. Generosity is giving regardless of the situation. Generosity is not an amount. You don't measure generosity with dollar signs and decimal points. Generosity doesn't, you don't compare generosity with zeros after the first digit. Generosity is from the heart. I mean, I've known people that could give great amounts and then they came in and, and, and said, man, something's hit. I haven't been able to give as much as, but they still Give, even when it's tight. Giving when there's surplus. Giving when there's extra. Giving when you can. It's not generosity. It's generosity. It's really measured. What do I do when lack shows up? What do I do when I don't have it? You know, when, 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 when lack starts showing up, you start going through your budget and you start going through your life and you just start determining what's really important. Well, I guess I can mow my own grass. Don't need to pay someone $150 a month to do that. I don't really need cable, so we'll cut that off. Uh, You know, you start going through and finding out what's really important. But the church and tithe and offering shouldn't be on that list of what gets cut and what keeps going. It is maintained all the way through. Why? Because it belongs to him anyway. It's not God's, it's not me giving my money to God. It's me returning God's money to him. See, you can't give the tithe. It's impossible to give a tithe. 
because you can't give what doesn't belong to you. Amen? I said you can't give what doesn't belong to you. The Bible tells us he's already carved it off. The second the, the amount showed up in your bank account or in your hand or however you receive it, there's already a portion of it he's marked off. He's put it in your hands to determine will you steward it according to his word. Steward means to manage the affairs of someone else. So the first thing I do when I see it hit my bank account or the second that it shows up, I say, okay, God, how much of this goes back to you? Not how much am I going to give today? God, how much of yours am I returning and how much? See, he's already, he's already given you a very good percentage, 90%. He could ask for all of it. He's asking for 10 he said, make sure that I get, make sure 10% comes back to my house. You take care of God's house, he takes care of your house. And God, you, you can do more with 90 than you could do with the 100 if you withheld it. He says, they're being tested by many troubles. And they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy. I wonder, is our joy tied to our bank account? Is the joy tied to surplus? Or is the joy tied to even when I fall into various trials? Count it all joy, the Bible says. And so their joy overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. They stretched, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. I mean, most of what I heard growing up in the circles I grew up in was churches begging people for money, ministries begging people for money. But these individuals are begging them for the opportunity, the privilege to give. That's incredible. They even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. The new King James says to do what you intended. So intentions is not generosity. Action is generosity. Putting action to your intentions. I would if I could. No, you could if you would. You could do it if you would do it. That's how God flips the script. And since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. He has just put them he, he's, he's pinning them against another church. Here's what Macedonia did. 
what are you going to do? And I'm only coming to you because you told us originally that you were going to do this. This is in the Bible. This isn't TBN. This isn't any of that. This is in the Bible. Amen. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. So we've seen poor people that gave and we see the generosity in their heart because generosity isn't measured by a number. I, I, I say this almost every time that I pray when we receive our tithe and offering, I say this, God, you see our faith more than you see our finance. If someone's putting faith to a $5 bill, that's what God's looking for. But if someone's just easily writing a $1,000 check and it's just become complacent, and it's become normal and they're used to it, it's, it's easy to get. I mean, for some of us, the tithe is easy. For some of us, we've got the 10% down. And I wanna make this disclaimer. This is probably the most generous church I've ever seen in my entire life. I have conversations with other pastors and, and, and I'm almost like, are we just an anomaly? Are we just, like, I, we are a very generous church, but I don't want generosity to become complacency. We, because that, that's not what we're gonna live off of. That's not how we're going to, if we're not tested in that area, we're gonna be tested in something. And so I'm not preaching this to compel you. We gotta, give our, gotta get our giving up. We've already exceeded this year what we brought in last year. And we're not even done with the year yet. So I'm saying that to, to show you where we are at, where we're on track. We want to continue to remain in generosity in our giving. We're not gonna leave it up to so-and-so. Every person has a part to play. This church is here today because people said, I won't be a consumer, I will be a contributor. And we're not gonna get to year seven and then build a church of consumers on the backs of contributors. We're gonna continue to grow and we're gonna continue to do what God's called us to do and continue to be who God's called us to be because we're gonna maintain the principles throughout. So you don't have to give today, but there's a seat that you're sitting in because somebody did. Amen. First Chronicles chapter 29 in the New Living. Verse one, then King David, the king, turned to the entire, entire assembly and said, my son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself using every resource at my command. Using every resource at my command. The new King James says this. He says, now for the house of God, I have prepared, watch this, with all my might. With all my might. Before it gets to what he gave, it talks about how he gave. 
We just saw with the church, the, the, the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, before it talked about what they gave, it talked about how they gave. Out of their joy, generosity overflowed. How you give is more important to God than what you give. And here, well, I wonder what the church would look like today if we gave with all our might. There's a lot of things that we, we like to do with all our might. Is giving one of them. He gave with all his might, using every resource at my command. I have gathered as much as I could for the building, for building the temple of my God. Now there's enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, as well as great quantities of onyx, other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. This is all going to the house of God. And this is coming from David's personal wealth. Some scholars believe that of everything that he gave, it would be close to a billion dollars today in today's terms. And that's just giving to the church. So I heard, I think it was Mark Hankins said, you know, if you get addicted to giving, God will support your habit. Amen. The world of the generous gets bigger and bigger. The world of the stingy is smaller and smaller. We're talking about generosity. I'm not talking about a dollar amount. Oh, you know, that, I love those people that tell me, God, Pastor, when I win the lottery. Okay. God wants to know. See, the thing is, is if, if you won't handle it, if you won't give it with what you can handle today, you won't give it when you have more. And the thing is, is God will make sure you won't have more. Not that he's withholding it, but there is a master that has servants and he's putting within the hands of those servants talents and you prove to him if you can handle five by what you do with one. Amen. We bury it in the ground. You're not getting any more. In fact, what you have will be taken from you. I heard a pastor say one time, you'll never give yourself broke, but you can spend yourself broke. Amen. It is possible to give more than you've ever have and have more than you ever had. Amen. I should be getting some more amens, but that's okay. We'll just keep going. Back to Mark chapter 12. Back to Mark chapter 12. <clears throat> you don't have to be rich to be generous. You don't have to. God honors generosity. The Bible has a lot to say about money, probably more than you want it to say. God, the Bible has a lot more to say about giving. <clears throat> Money is a system that we use on this earth, but God has always had a system of giving and receiving, sowing and reaping. There is a sowing time, there is a harvest time, and God honors giving. Amen. So we see here again, Mark chapter 12, uh, I, don't know, I don't know what verse we're in. Let's start with 
when he calls his disciples to him, he says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. Now, why? Let's identify. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. How does he know that? But he's, he's identifying. Like, I might not know. I might not know what 10% is. I don't really care, to be honest with you. That's not my job. My job is not to make sure enough funds come into this church so that we can accomplish what God has called us to do. And I'm thankful it's not my job because I'm not very good at that anyways. I'm not good at raising funds. I'm not good at asking people for money. I'm not good at that. So I don't do it. I never have. I never will. But I will teach on biblical prosperity. And I will teach on what giving and sowing and reaping will do for you. I will teach you what the Bible says and leave the rest up to God. There's no amount of money I could, I, I, I don't have, you know, uh, you know, there's silly stuff that people would give away for, for offerings back in the day. They give you holy water from Israel. Probably came out of their sink. Yeah, I mean, where are they getting this stuff? Saying that Jesus walked on in, in Galilee. I don't have promises in return because God has promised you way more than I could ever give you. You, you follow God's laws of prosperity. It's a law. You know what a law means? That means that's the way it is and nothing can mess it up. Gravity is gravity and there's nothing that can mess it up. Sowing and reaping is a law. Harvest time is a law. But, I, I, you know, people want to, so skateboard giving and want to receive Mercedes-Benz <laughs> reaping. It's got to measure up. I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. The Bible reminds me, worship team, if you come, of, a, of another widow woman, another poor, destitute widow woman in the book of First Kings. The prophet Elijah is sent to her home. And when he shows up, she's out there with her son. <clears throat> and she's gathering sticks to make the last meal for her and her son in the time of famine. And then she actually says, and then we're gonna die. Now I know that doesn't look good. Local televangelist takes last meal of widow woman and son. <laughs> but Elijah says, hey, make me that cake. Make me the cake. See, when you put the little that you have in God's hands, it can become greater than anything you could ever do. I'm reminded of a, another story where Jesus was preaching for days on end. A multitude followed him out into the middle of nowhere. Finally, his disciples, probably Peter, comes and says, we hungry. There's no food out here. And 
at a little boy, a little boy with five loaves and two fish. How in the world did that little boy last three days with five loaves and two fish? Camden would have ate it on the first day, all of it. Had nothing left for the rest of the week. Brings it to Jesus. Jesus multiple. I'm not saying today that if you put a dollar in, it's gonna become 10,000 when it hits, you know, blow the doors off of our safe back. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that God knows how to handle money better than you. And when you do your part, he will do his part. Amen. Generosity is not out of, okay, God, I'm gonna do this and I hope I get a return. Generosity is I wanna see your kingdom advanced. I wanna see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is what I have. It belongs to you. You placed it in my hands. This is what I'm trusting you with. This is what I'm returning back to you because I know you can do more with it than I can. Really, that's what all of Christianity is all about, is God taking our feeble, measly efforts that we do on this earth and he exponentially multiplies I'm telling you right now, when you sow today, when you sow on December 9th, when you give out of your heart, you are not subtracting, you're multiplying. See, that's how God works. He doesn't just add, He multiplies. Because He knows how to get it to you. Come on. If He can get it through you, He can get it to you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaith.austin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church Podcast.